I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Kristen Sinanta-Walker here and I've got a wonderful show. I want you listeners, if you can, sit in silence, uh, put your earphones on, listen to this show, close your eyes and just especially our female listeners and just really let this one seep in. We have four powerful Uh, women who really know their own identity and um, often, actually always how that happens is through struggle (laughs) and being resilient and overcoming struggle and being able to experience extreme joy. So this is a treat for me and it's a treat for me to say I'm one of those four women uh, because I tend to always, um, you know, talk about somebody else instead of bring myself into that conversation. And Christina Hallett, who's one of our guests, is really working with me on that by being a regular on my show. She's Dr. Christina Hallett. We do the series Be Awesome. She's a psychologist and she's also an executive coach. So Christina, thank you for agreeing to come on this show with me. Oh, I am delighted to be here. And you know, we always have a fabulous time. We do. We laugh. We laugh a lot talking about mental health and we end up laughing, which is which is whoa, so needed. And then I also have my friend Evelyn Ryan, who is an author of the book. Um, and, and I'm sorry, Christina, you authored a book, too. We'll mention that in a little bit later. But um, Evelyn Ryan wrote the book, Take Your Power Back. And that is the name of her book, just like Be Awesome is the name of um, Christina Hallett's book. And um, Evelyn and I talk about, um, you know, psychological abuse, especially as it relates to women. She's a coach. She also works in uh, the nuclear power plant field. So, Evelyn, thank you for agreeing to come on the show also. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we have a guest that I I wouldn't say we're friends because I would never uh, assume that, but we know each other. She's been on my show twice, and her Facebook feeds are the things that she posts on Facebook always kill me. They slay me. They're a snippet from some author and they make me think the rest of the day and my thoughts are better from, from reading them. Patricia Stewart is with us. She's a 
musician, she's a wife, she's so many things, an activist, and she also happens to be one of the survivors um, who was assaulted by Bill Cosby. So this is an interesting mix of women, and we're going to talk about our feeling around what's happening today when it comes to women and using our voices and whether we think we're really going somewhere with that. What What is happening? Um, there's so many dichotomies. So when I brought up this topic, I'm going to start with you, Patricia. What did you, what, what first came through your mind, if you can remember, you know, when I brought up, hey, let's do this. Let's, let's have a bunch of people that don't really know each other. I'm the only one that knows all of you. Get on and talk about what's going on with women. Kristen, thanks for inviting me to be part of this esteemed group um, <laughs> of women, really. I hold you all in esteem just from what she said about you. I would do that anyway because we're women. <laughs> um, what showed up for me when you mentioned what the focus was going to be was that our rights as women, which were growing incrementally uh, over the last few hundred years, uh, are being stripped away rapidly stripped away um, and I think it's a time when I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore mm. and I can be civil about it but I'm very vocal about that anger and I'm using it to motivate me to do things that I otherwise would probably not choose to do as an introvert um, to be outspoken, to speak out, to do a podcast, whatever <laughs> that is, I will do it because it's time for women to rise up. And I don't mean that in um, a violent way. I just mean to stop being quiet about losing the ground that we were making. Agreed. Agreed. Do you, I'm going to get to everyone else too, but do you feel like with what's happened with Me Too, with Bill Cosby being convicted, freaking finally, um, with a lot of the things that we see going on that seem like maybe we're being taken more seriously. Do you think in some ways we are, or do you think that that's a lot of distraction? I think it's a distraction, frankly. I think it's a form of tokenism. I think um, mm. the men who are in power particularly white, older white men, um, are saying, well, we'll give them that bone because there are so many of them that this has happened to and it would be politically incorrect of us to stand opposed, although they certainly did that during the Kavanaugh hearings. Um, uh, they did not treat her well. Um, but I think it's a kind of tokenism. There's so, someone is pulling the strings. They're saying, yes, well, we'll give them this. This is something that probably should be addressed, but we'll continue to act that way with women. We're not really going to change. That's what I hear. That's what I get intuitively. Um, so I don't, I don't really think it's being taken as seriously as it should. And I think if we don't continue to speak about it all the time, you know, with a squeaky wheel gets, gets the yes. attention, right? So yes. I think we have Absolutely. to do that. Absolutely. How about you? You have really strong opinions, Evelyn, and you are not afraid to post them everywhere, which I love that about you. We often, Melanie um, Van, our program director, and I read them and 
uh, and Melanie, who is very quiet, very introverted. She does not, you know, do anything like that. She's like, well, she posts the things that I'm thinking and I cheer her on quietly. (laughs) (laughs) So Evelyn, what do you think about what's going on and what has been going on in the last, you know, 2017, 2018? Well I, well, I agree, you know, on a higher level, you know, the tokenism aspect of it. But I think there's also this, um, this grass, what I call the grassroots effort, like what, what we all do, what we call the tribe of healers that are reaching out to millions and millions of people around the world. So um, people can try to convince us that we have no power, but that doesn't, if we believe we have no power, right, then they're easily... <coughs> manipulate. So that's what this is all about. However, that does not mean that we do not have power, right. right? Aggression does not mean power, but, but I think that we have to approach it on all levels, but we also have this ability to influence so many, our children, the, the millions of people who are, who collectively um, listen to, listen to you, listen to mental health news network. Um, the millions of people that the healing tribe on social media are reaching to not only women in the United States, but people around the world. So to me, um, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna stop doing what I do. I'm not gonna stop advocating for women. But for me personally, it brings me, and we discussed this on on a previous show. It brings me me great sadness to, to see, I mean, men are prejudiced towards women, that's kind of a given, but to see women prejudiced towards women, yeah, that bothers me more. And um, I mean, I, I was studying this 40 years ago that, you know, studies at the US Coast Guard Academy do, done by Dr. Harold Cheatham showed, this was just a few years after they started letting women into the military academies, that showed that over time, women became more prejudiced towards women and men became less prejudiced. So to me, you know, and um, with being able to reach so many people and especially during the elections to see this hostility of women towards other women and especially women in quote unquote powerful positions. So hostility towards me for just voicing my opinion, for example, it was more like a how dare you, you know, how dare you, um, uh, act on your rights to as a to, human being and a citizen as a citizen. Yeah. So like I always say uh, this isn't an act. This is who I am. But uh, I don't think that we should get discouraged. Uh, I still get uh, I get messages daily from women thanking me for helping them take their power back. So mm-hmm. I, I get, I get uh, just a few months ago. I received a thank you for someone I had mentored who uh, uh, a woman who had become chief engineer in one of the top divisions at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory and, and, and thanked me and said that she would not have been able to accomplish that if it wasn't for me. So mm-hmm. I think that we have this grasp. We, there's a big difference between um, convincing us that we have no power and actually having power. Right. I, I mean, um, so that's, you know, that, those are my thoughts on that. Is prejudice going to stop? Absolutely not. You know, right now uh, we have in the in the political climate, 
and uh, nationally and internationally, you know, we a lot of people are being triggered. A lot of fears are being triggered. And oh gosh, yes. yeah, I mean, that's that's really what we're seeing. And so women in those in that environment become a prime target. So um, it's been that way since the beginning of time and it's going to continue. But it doesn't it doesn't hinder me in any way from continuing doing what I'm doing. As a matter of fact, it motivates me more. Right, right. I know that. I know that it does. Hence the show and the talk that we that we did. That's going to be two talks because we could not stop talking. Um, <laughs> Christina Hallett, you're the the psychologist on the show. So what are your thoughts around this? Um, you know, and what did you think when I first you know, talked about doing a show like this really with its amorphous idea. You know, I didn't really know what it would become, which is like many shows that I do. But what what were the first things that came to your mind? And, and what do you think about what you're seeing and feeling and with your patients? Yeah. So I was delighted and excited. I am all in all the time to talk <laughs> about this. And I have been talking about this throughout my whole life. So I'm 56, probably... Uh, I don't know. I think I first noticed some of the things that were going on in the world when I was around five or six. So, mm -hmm. you know, totally my jam, all into talking about it. And <laughs> where I, it just sounds sort of funny, right? But, no, I love, this is why we giggle, because <laughs> I just love the way you talk. Anyway, I'm sorry, keep going. Yeah. So I come from a place of compassion, connection, and hope. And I, Absolutely. We did, you and I, Kristen, a whole show about using your voice. And yeah. I believe strongly to my core that we all need to recognize our voice, to own it and to use it. And we need to speak up about all of the things that we see that are injustices in the world. And I think that that's what begins to make a difference. I do a lot of public speaking and giving workshops at trainings, keynotes, things like that. And it's all around this same topic of how do you be awesome, become your own best friend, find your voice, so, and therefore improve your communication, improve your productivity, sort of get to the places that you want to, and develop a new way of thinking about resilience. So I am uh, clearly bothered by all that has been going on recently. Uh, and just one note about the Kavanaugh hearings, like those were really, really difficult days for me. Oh, and, gosh, yes. you know, literally because of my sense of connection and compassion to all of the unnamed survivors that exist, you know, and I really appreciate uh, Dr. Blasey Ford for standing up and being willing to uh, show courageous presence in something that I think was, um, it really just from my perspective, a horrific process. And I've seen lots of both therapy and coaching clients who've come in and were so triggered and so distressed. Where I come from around Me Too and the time is now, I mean, it is, absolutely. And I think that, so I, when I think of coming from a place of hope and how do we move forward and can we and do we make a difference, you know, I would absolutely agree with um, Patricia that sort of those um, those white males who have been in power traditionally, yeah, tokenism all the way. I'm on board with that as a concept. But as Evelyn said, I also do think that there is more of a groundswell and that the more that we talk about this and the more that we engage in having conversations and 
and making the formally unacknowledged visible, I think that that begins to make a difference and I see it making a difference. So uh, one of the examples that I think about is uh, the Good Men Project. You know, that's a mm -hmm. video series and mm -hmm. I've really appreciated that because I think it's uh, a nice example of men struggling with the issues that they need to struggle with. And right. they completely have a responsibility for that. And um, Clementine Ford, is that her last name? Oh, I'm going to forget it. But uh, she wrote the book, Boys Will Be Boys, and mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. Fight Like a Girl. And I l recently heard her in a podcast and she was saying, uh, she was giving a talk and there was mostly women there and there was a few men in the audience. And so she said for a minute, or the organizer said for a minute, hey, could all of the men in the audience stand up? And so they did. It was, you know, I don't know, maybe a 20th of who was there. And all these other women started clapping for the men. And she got pretty agitated. She's like, don't clap. No, no, you don't reward yes. somebody for doing what they should be they doing should be as doing a human all along. being. Yes. And right. I'm sure those men didn't have a problem with that either. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure yeah. they didn't have a problem with her saying, don't clap. Right. I mean, at least I hope that they would. So that's part of like one of the action steps that I think that we can all take is to begin to say that and hold people accountable to the standard of being decent, caring, compassionate human beings, but also recognizing that there are, we are all human, we're all connected. And interestingly enough, right, right after you first brought up this podcast, I have had so many different men that I work with in uh, different kinds of ways come to me and begin talking about vulnerability. And so at the same time that I'm this huge advocate for speaking up and this has got to stop and we need to make changes and what are all of the things we can do to make change, I'm also having these conversations with men about saying, and I want to own that I'm vulnerable too. Like that there's mm -hmm. an interesting other side to this as well. That it isn't, we can't paint anyone with just one broad brush. Right. Very true. Very true. I want to share this and I probably will cry. And I know that that's okay to do that. But I, my son, just even saying my son already that I can feel the tears at the back of my throat. Anyway, okay, so I'm going to try not to do that. My son is 29 years old and he is a white male, okay? And um, so I hear about things, you know, from his perspective and the things that he's afraid of being accused of and all kinds of things. And they make sense to me. And he's not complaining that that's going on. He sees why, but that's still a, a fear, you know, for him. Um, but when we had a conversation the other night and boy, do I clamp onto those when I get them because usually it's a grunt and mom, I really have to go to the bathroom so I can't talk now, you know? So, so when, <laughs> when he stays on the phone for two hours, I'm like, I don't care what's going on, dog, you will you can pee on the carpet. Let's just continue this conversation. But um, I was asking him, you know, what would you do? Uh, we were asking each other, what would we do if we, you know, just uh, won the lottery? Um, it was a subject he wanted to ask me about. And it was so funny because he's teased me so hard. He loves to tease me. He knows who I am. He knows well, you know, he knows the kind of female that I am. And he would always say, oh, I, I love our politics today. And yeah, go this and go that just to kind of get under my skin a little bit. And I was, I was a hair 
worried. And this conversation got rid of all of that because we were really serious deep in the conversation. He said, well, the first thing I would do is get you and dad and our animals into a safe house with security, because with that level of money that we're talking about, you know, that's, that's frightening. And then I would immediately set up um, funding um, accounts in any and every way possible for every possible um, liberal agenda, trans, um, LGBT rights, uh, women's rights, this, that. He went through this whole list and I'm listening to him and I'm, and I was just, it was one of those moments where I went, okay, somewhere the essence of his father, who's exactly the same way and was not raised that way and is a white male also. And the essence of me did bleed into this kid who's not a kid he's a young man and it I just was like thank god and we talked about women and how he views women and he kept saying mom how I view women is well you're my example and what that did for me was it made me step up and I've talked to you about this Christina it made me step up in a different way about how I talk about myself to myself. So we can get right. upset. Exactly. We can get upset about what's going on. I agree 100% with Patricia, with you, with what you said. And I want to go to you next about this. But what was so great about that conversation was that it showed me we absolutely can make great strides with the men in our lives um, just by continuing to be who we are and evolve who we are and own our voice in the conversation, including the one that talks to us about ourselves every single day. So Patricia, I'm gonna throw this over to you. Yeah, I think we lead by example. Right. People pay attention to our actions, um, not that words don't matter. They matter a great deal, but they watch to see what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I've set an example for our son. Our son is 33. Uh, I could easily start crying talking about him as well. So I <laughs> related to that. Um, and he's uh, has no problem with being personally vulnerable with people and he's very articulate about his emotions which thrills me very unusual for a lot of guys we have talked about what the culture's like in his um, office he works for netflix actually in los angeles and that's been an interesting conversation he has great respect for women um i think yeah, I think I got a little lost in the question. No, that's okay. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking, how has he, I know that it shaped you, what happened to you. I know that, I mean, I know that it shaped him and it shaped your relationship with him because that's just the way it is. We What we experience shapes those things. So I know I waited um, about um, the timing of when I shared with my son certain things that happened to me. Were you able to do that at all with him? He was a a teenager in high school when I first came forward as one of the Jane Doe's in 2004. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
I told them about it because I really wasn't sure what was going to happen. I didn't know if there was going to be, if we were going to end up testifying, which we did not do because Mr. Cosby decided to settle the suit in order to keep us all from using our voices in court. And um, so I I told him and he, no child wants to think about their mother as a sexual being. Right. They just don't. I mean, it's just too much information for them uh, in the parent-child relationship. And he didn't know what to say. And when I came forward again in 2015, 10 years, 11 years later, um, he was older. He could have a different response to the conversation, but he still wasn't quite sure what to say to me in response to knowing what happened to me. And it was after um, he... After the conviction, after he was found guilty, he wrote me an email saying that someone higher up at Netflix uh, with a position of more seniority than he had, had written to him through the company email and said, I know who your mother is. You should be proud of your mother for what she did. Because I have a friend who was assaulted by Harvey Weinstein. So you should be proud of your mother. And I got the sweetest email from my son telling me that he was proud of me. But it took all those years for him to try to struggle with and reconcile how he should feel about it, what he could say, if anything. Um, Yeah. 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 I mean, their brains aren't developed enough to understand, which is why... um, you know, when this happens to you, when you're a young child, even, you know, my brain wasn't developed enough to understand what was happening to me. I just knew that it didn't, that it felt awful. And so, yeah, those decisions about when you share that with your children are, you know, are, so my God, there's no roadmap. There's no roadmap for that. But here I am in tears. Didn't cry about my own, but thank you, Patricia. The tears are flowing. <laughs> oh, so um, I want to ask this too, and then I promise I'll I'll go to you, Evelyn, next. But navigating media, there's so much about media. I just did a show before this one with you guys about talking about you know the sensationalism and so on that's going out there, and I don't, you know, yes media is is a problem for sure and we feed that problem so we're part of it as well and i'm a media company so i've got to you know be mindful of that as well but how was it for you navigating with your family and the fear about people um, attacking you many of the bill cosby survivors were publicly attacked and not safe felt threatened Um, How was it for you navigating this, having a story that needs to be told? It happens to be public, where for many women, it isn't public, but they've been abused also. But you happen to be in this um, public place and navigate sharing and also being used for sensationalism. What on how on earth did you navigate that also thinking about? what effect that would have on your family? Well, that's a great question, actually. I thank you for asking it. I um, was very grateful that I had the option of coming forward anonymously as a Jane Doe 
in right. 2004 and five because um, I knew that no one would believe us because people preferred to continue to think of him as America's dad. Nobody wanted that to be true about him. So um, I was grateful for that anonymity um, and knew that I had no control over the outcome of what happened then, so I let it go. But in 2014, I read an op-ed that Barbara Bowman, one of the other um, survivors, wrote called, Why Did It Take 30 Years for Someone to Believe That Bill Cosby Raped Me? And I reached out to her. I found out she lived in Arizona. We were going to be in Arizona on our way on a road trip. And so we arranged to have breakfast with her, my husband and I. And I was um, going only, I don't think I had used my name at all at that point. And she encouraged me to come forward in whatever way I was comfortable. So I came forward at first using only my first name because I was Mm -hmm. watching how the other women who had identified themselves by name were being treated by the public, by the media. We were not being treated well. We were being attacked and harassed. Um, So it took me a long time to be willing to use my full name. And it actually didn't happen until the Associated Press released the deposition that Cosby did in the 2005 case in which his, in his own words, he admitted having seven prescriptions for quaaludes that he would use with the women with whom he wanted to have sex. It was at that point that the New York Magazine article was about to be published and I told the the editor, I said, use my full name. I'm no longer afraid. He can't say he's lying anymore. Right. I mean, we can't we can't say he's we can't say he's telling the truth. In his own words, he has indicted himself. But navigating the piece where media um, wants to have you on, like I, I let me let me paint a picture for you here. I I okay. was on. I get asked to be on news programs. Now, listen, if I was just a podcaster, and I don't slight podcasters by saying that if I was just a podcaster because they're so popular now I wouldn't be invited to be on anything but somehow because I'm the you know created this network that's you know about mental health and I'm a female um, now all of a sudden my voice is is important in this and that's great you know whatever platforms we're gifted for whatever reason uh, towards you know positive change that's fine but I remember on one of them I was on, they had done a bunch of research and they had found out that you had been on my show a couple of times and I didn't wasn't prepared. And they just started asking me questions about how you're doing after the guilty verdict. And I am live and I thought I felt so uncomfortable. I was like, I don't I can't speak for Patricia. I'm not, she didn't give me permission. I'm not, I felt so used and I uncomfortable and just like, I don't even know what to say, but here we are live on the air. It was really, um, it was interesting and it gave me a microcosm of what, you know, you and many others, you know, may have experienced with that piece of here you have notoriety and you're wanted to be spoken about in order to what further sensationalize or to really make positive change or is it okay to be a part of a little bit of the sensationalism to get the word out and navigating all of that 
that's part of this tokenism thing too. So I guess my thoughts are not that you did that. I'm just saying that's part of what they do. So how, how have you kind of rested with that, mm. with yourself to get on and do these shows and show your face and talk about it and know that you don't know what their agenda is for having you there? Um, I, you know, I am very grateful to the women who have positions of power in the media, the various media forms that we interacted with in the last mm -hmm. few years, because without them, this story would not have been promoted and perpetuated. Sure. I don't true. think any of this would have happened without their voices and their commitment to us. So I really, I'm really grateful to them. But at the same time, the American public has a very short attention span. Yes, it does. And um, I realized, even though there was going to be a downside to exposing myself to that kind of questioning and um, intrusiveness, that it was a story that needed to be told, and it needed to be told not just for me. It was part of my own healing to come forward and tell that story, but it was also going to end up being on behalf of a lot of people, particularly women, although some men have now told me their stories about being abused. Okay. Um, so I, I just decided that... It, I wasn't trying to be heroic about it. I was very pragmatic about it. If I was asked a question I was comfortable answering, I would answer it. If not, I wouldn't. But I was clear that when it came to editing, whatever I said in an interview, I had absolutely no control over what would be left right. in the interview. Um, usually I was pleased with the results. Sometimes I was sorry that I did the interview because they left out what I considered to be the most important parts. Right. So, you know, that's there is a there's a piece of what the media, particularly the national media does, that is very much a consumer thing and a sponsor thing. It's a business. Mm -hmm. Yes, it and is. And they know that the attention span is very short of the American public, and they know that they've got to hop on the story that is going to keep that attention span for as long as they can. So I was very aware of all of that and still decided to do it anyway because I thought it was worth doing. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. So that's where you held your power. So I'm going to go to you, Evelyn, about that, because that right there is um, is what we just talked about on our last show that hasn't aired yet, where we're doing something. We know that there are uh, definite decisions that we have to wrestle with, with our own integrity, our own power, all of those things. And, and we choose something out of a greater sense of what it 
what it means based on our compass, yes. knowing that it may be taken off uh, and derailed or changed around based on someone else's compass, but at least we showed up with ourselves intact. And that's really owning your personal power and that's really taking your power back. So I will be quiet now and Evelyn, you go. <laughs> Yeah, or, or you know, you can, um, like Dr. Christina says, you know, be awesome, be authentic. And that's the challenge that people who are prejudiced against and abused, and, you know, sadly, women and children are at the top of that list. Yes. But that's something that we have to deal with our entire lives. And the difference between who we are authentically and what others are convincing us to believe we are, to serve them. So this is this challenge that we have on our entire lives. But I've been listening very intently to um, the ladies on the show today and taking profuse notes, and <laughs> like usual. But of course you are. <laughs> one thing I one thing I notice about everyone here is that we're all survivors, right? Yeah. We didn't have. Uh, I was not born, quote unquote, privileged. Okay, I was actually the opposite. So to answer your question, um, yes, we we have to be able to uh, tap into who we are, but we, especially women, with so many more obstacles to doing that. So we have to t be able to tap into our resilience. You know, everyone here on this panel today, the very talented people, the very uh, like Dr. Diverse. diverse, decent. However, we're all decent people, talented people, people who have worked really, really hard, okay, to turn this pain that we've gone into, pain into wisdom, and and still be women, still be mothers, still be uh, friends, right, still stay true to ourselves, and figure out what that is, without what I call all this noise around us, especially in my family. But the example that you gave with your sons, what came to mind was the example that I have, I have one daughter, very, very powerful as we heal, right? Our children heal through us. But in my case, it's not my son, it's my father, my 90 year old father. So I had conflicts with him my entire life. But interestingly enough, uh, I just hung tough in my truth as to who I was and who I am. And interestingly enough, um, my father and I are much more similar than I ever knew, and I think than he ever knew. So, you know, my recent experiences, I'm 61, and Kristen has heard the story. I went back, I, I realized that um, through my studies that we inherit resilience, and there were a lot of people, you know, uh, mental illness was rampant in my family, and and I was um, exposed to abuse my entire life. And I had, uh, as a result of abuse, I had two aunts commit suicide. So I was fascinated as to why some people survive, some people don't survive. And I had survived and I had survived well. And so I researched and I realized that, you know, through epigenetic studies that we inherit resilience and pull the thread back to um, my ancestors. So, and I'm of Greek Greek heritage. So I took my daughter back to the to the village where my grandparents and great grandparents are to thank my ancestors for giving me this ability, right, to survive. 
And so I would just went back with my daughter, just being who I am. And uh, so this, this, uh, your stories with your sons triggered the same emotions in me with my father, because I get back to the States and my father calls me and he's very emotional. You know, he's having difficulty talking on the phone. I realized that he's crying. Which and, is a rarity, right? Like he's cried maybe on five times in his whole yeah, life, right? Yeah, yeah. Very, very rare. And he's thanking me. He's thanking me and my daughter. And I'm and I'm like, so what are you thanking us for? And he says, I'm thanking you for making me so proud. Because he had gone back to the village. He had gone to the village about a month after I had gone. And he just told me how proud my daughter and I had made him. And we were just being ourselves. We were just having a good time talking to people. Um, all those terms on on compassion, decency. We were just being who we who we are. And so, um, but I was able to, you know, through my healing and through my life and through my struggles, uh, be able to tap into this resilience, who I really am, and take this experience. We're not what happens to us; we're what we choose to be. And take these experiences and turn it to wisdom and, and, and take those experiences and use it to become a better version of myself. And I, that's what I, I hear. I hear today from, from all of us is, you know, we're, and we're all happy, we're all healthy and we're authentic through those struggles, through those struggles. Right. And we're right. using our voices, right? That's the, that's the power that we have. That's so, the yeah, absolutely. Um, Christina, in terms of, um, you know, what I hear from Evelyn and I, Evelyn, we've had deeper conversations about this and I'm, I'm glad we talked about, um, Patricia and I talked about our, our children. Evelyn, you did a little bit as well, but what's so interesting to me about this story with Evelyn is it also affected change with a male, an older male, Yes. You know, that is from generations where you don't share, you don't. And yet it still had this change. So what do you say about that um, from that, you know, that psychological perspective of, yes, what we model for our children affects um, change in their development throughout their lifetime as we work on ourselves. But, you know, it, it can also have an effect on our parentage, our relatives that are older than us. Absolutely. Right. That's the whole like the most exciting thing. And Kristen, you've heard me say this, that we've discovered other than the Internet is neuroplasticity because <clears throat> neuroplasticity mm -hmm. means that anyone can learn and change and grow. We are not limited. We can create new neural pathways. We can have right. new experiences. We can shift our perspective and our mindset. Right. And so for me, like that's the evidence of hope. And I just want to say, maybe to give some context, two stories. First, my husband, who is retired deputy warden from the Department of Corrections. One of the things that I love to say is, <laughs> I met my husband while in prison. <laughs> I'm, like, what? I'm like, yes, yes. In 2003, I went to prison, met my future husband, because he was a deputy warden and I had taken over as director of psychological services. And so if you think, sort of think the stereotype, he was working in medium and supermax. You know, he spent his whole career there. He was also someone who used to do uh, pro-am arm wrestling and weightlifting competitions. So you get this white male stereotype. Right? Yes. 
Okay. And <laughs> one of his favorite shirts to wear that I gifted him is this is what a feminist looks like. Oh. Okay. Right. Okay. Like my ex-husband right? would wear that too proudly. Yeah. So, and and that's that's part of it. But when we first met, he was like, "Oh, I love to be nice to women." I'm like, "Oh my god, I would love to like shake you or something worse cuz we're going to have a talk here. How about you love to be nice to human beings? Can we start there?" You know, like, I love. Don't get a gift for right. saying just because you're a guy that you're nice to. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh my God, we, we need to think this. So so that's one story. I also want to share another story, which has to do with, um, I have three children. The older two came to me through marriage with my husband, and the youngest is from my first marriage. So the middle one, my son, he's in his mid-20s, and he's currently in the Army. And he is a phenomenal phenomenal human being. But the story I want to mention is when he was probably around 14-ish and we were at a local uh, big fair in where I live in Mass in Connecticut. It's called the Big E. It's the, the Eastern States Fairgrounds. Yeah. And at that time in his life, he was very introverted, very shy and uncomfortable in lots of social situations. And I recognize this because when I was a child, I felt much the same way. I acted different on the outside, but that's how I felt on the inside. So my husband, my daughter, my son, and I were all walking around and the Big E and music was playing outside. It was really great dance music. So I started to dance, which in and of itself was pretty much a miracle because I had gotten over my self-consciousness. Mm -hmm. And my husband and my daughter look at me and they're like, oh, what are you doing? Stop. I'm like, it's great music. And they're like, oh, we don't even know you. And they literally ran away. And my son, this self-conscious, uncomfortable, introverted, never wants attention on him. And there was a lot of people around. And I'm dancing and he looks at me and he looks at them and he starts dancing right with me. Mm. And I think of that. See, that's part of what speaks to me about capacity. Yeah. and about influence and that it's it's everything so it's yes we speak up about the struggles that we've had and we speak up about the victories and we speak up about what it means to have courage and what it means to be afraid and the more that we're doing those things mm. that's i believe where it begins to ripple out and and i do want to say in specific evelyn i loved the story about your dad and patricia thank you so much for sharing that story about your son. I mean, it's beautiful and very touching. And I, uh, my first book is on best friend. And I dedicated that to my daughter because my wish for her is that she be her own best friend. Mm -hmm. And that's my wish for all of us. Because to me, when we can truly be comfortable with who we are and love ourselves, knowing that we are flawed and that is totally okay. That allows us to be compassionate to ourselves and extend compassion to others. And then we can, I think, be in a place where we can negotiate a little more easily some of these really challenging conversations. And we can use that to draw upon, to have the courage to stand up and to say, 
literally, as Evelyn has said, this is who I really am, not who you want to see me as or who you want me to believe I am. But this is me. And who mm. I am is absolutely fabulous, just as I am. And then through change, through influencing change, like the situation with my dad, right, is, the, is that to give him to respect, his, it's his life too. You know, yeah. for me, I had to learn to respect his life. And I realized that I had the power to influence him in a positive way, right? And so as I, I was healing and learning to forgive myself, right? And, and I realized, oh my gosh, he was growing as an individual and that I had the, the ability to help him grow. And so now he's at, at 90 years old, right? He's able to see me through, through what I say, untainted filters. His filters, his belief system has changed, like you said, to neuroplasticity. Never in a million years did I think this would happen. So it's very emotional for me to, to be sitting in, his hold, sitting in his home and realize that my father is an incredible man. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's literally, I want to emphasize what you just said, because when we have the willingness to give other people the space to grow, that allows that. But when we're maintaining a thought of that's just how they are and they're never going to change. I mean, it's not our responsibility to change someone because we can't. We're all only responsible for our own thoughts, feelings, and actions, and everyone else is responsible for theirs. But we also have to be willing to see that people own who they are. They're okay. They're okay as a human being. They're a human being, and that just makes them a person of worth. And then give them even the the chance or the opportunity to be someone other than how they've been. Yeah, and so that's what I mean. That's the the lesson that I learned. Incredible lesson that I learned. I mean, just opened my mind to, to to so much it motivated me more to do what i do but to, but to look at your 90 year old father and say um you're an incredible i said i don't because i don't think that he has in his environment no one ever told him that so when i when i go back to him, I said, yeah. you're an you're an incredible man you know you're an incredible man and it, it again and, and to you know lighten things up just a bit so here's my, I have to share the story because I just think it's an incredible story. So um, my father, he's 90, he lives alone, he cooks, he cleans, he does everything on his own. You know, he's pretty incredible that way. Very, he survived cancer. I mean, just amazing guy. So um, every day he goes down to have coffee with his friend Jimmy. So he had left and we, my daughter and I thought that he had gone to have coffee, but we thought. So um, we go to leave and we see my father has an old Lincoln and we see the old Lincoln kind of sideways in the back. My daughter in Greek, uh, Papu is grandfather. And she goes, Papu is on the ground. And I think, oh my gosh, my 90 year old father is on the ground. Right. So I run out back. Well, he, he was on the ground because his car was stuck in the mud and he had a Jack. He had a Jack and he was, <laughs> jacking up this big huge lincoln and i said what are you doing and he says my car's stuck in the mud and he kind of like walked quickly by me he lives in a 120 year old home in northeastern connecticut and he he 
opens up the doors to the to the basement in this old home and he zooms down the stairs and I go, well, I just feel compelled to to offer my help and he, and he says to me in this Greek a- accent, what can you do? What you what can you do? You know, he says just just leave, just leave. You know, so uh, I just looked at my daughter. I really didn't know what to do, and I said, well, maybe will he seems to have everything under control maybe we'll leave and we'll come back and check uh check in on him which we did then i found out that he had to jack up all four tires put all these boards under all the tires and that's how he got himself out then he had to go refill the um refill the holes in the grass right and uh, the mud holes and then uh he was perfectly fine so um like i said resilience is inherited i guess so <laughs> But um, yeah, so but so you know we we learn through our experiences, and um, my mother used to say God works in mysterious ways. So, but it was amazing for me to um, to witness, you know, my father's emotional maturity, maturity and healing himself. Absolutely, I want to ask this, you know, everyone, and I'll I'll answer last. So I'll start with you, Patricia. Um, how do you feel like we can, uh, you know, what is our best, what are what are our best chances of getting past this tokenism, um, continuing what's been started, which I don't want to throw it all out, um, even if someone else is controlling the narrative and we're just in a response place we still can control our own narrative even in that space even if it's tokenism so what i think about is how do we move forward as people and as women in just continuing to use our voices be heard affect change regardless of the of the paradigm that we're being gifted quote unquote to do that in um, because somewhere in some places it does make a difference. So um, that's a long question. I'm sorry, but an easier, shorter answer is where do we go from here? <laughs> well, I, I don't want to assume too much about the group, but I'm assuming that we're postmenopausal, and I don't know about you, but I don't have any. I don't have any time to waste anymore. Yeah. Um, and I can't pretend to be somebody I'm not. And so the authenticity that we were talking about was very, very important to me. Um, we can continue to use our voice in its many forms. One of those forms is voting. If we don't like what's happening in our government, we have the power of the vote. We can vote to change things. Um, we can do many other things within that structure to influence and and uh, get out the vote with other people. We can do public speaking. We can do podcasts like this one. We can. It's all the same thing, though. It's all making ourselves heard in an authentic way about what we will and won't tolerate the vision that we have for the world, which is not the vision that is being realized at the moment. Um, so I think it's all about our voice and all about our power. And I just wanted to make a quick aside. I grew up across the river from the Big E. Oh, yay! <laughs> yay, I li- in Agawam, Massachusetts. So that's oh, where I grew up. And um, I, my, I have family back there. So, But yes, it's all about our voice and continuing to speak. And those of us who are elder... 
um, whatever you consider that to be. Wise, have, wise. Have, I think have a, I feel this weight of responsibility about not being quiet anymore. I will, I'll risk being an uppity woman who won't shut up. I'll be one of those women that has been hated and reviled, but I don't care because that's who I am and I'm going to continue to do that. Mm. Well, I'm going to answer this and then I'll, I'll, let this close with the other two of you. One way that I've thought about is um, I continue to work with men. Uh, I, I just, and I continue to find ways to be a part of agendas that I don't believe in, but I'm just uh, safe enough in terms of, and I'm talking about, let's say I'm invited on a show that I know is uh, the whole show is about an agenda that I really don't, support, but I'm just sort of safe enough or moderate enough in what I speak about or my what I'm speaking about mental health doesn't matter what party lines you're on or whatever. So in whatever way, I'm, quote unquote, safe enough to be invited to tables that I really don't particularly like sitting at. And I've gotten grief for this, but my way and I'm not saying it's better than anyone else's. It's just, this is what's been working really well for me. My way has been to sit at, be able to sit at those tables and be who I am and know what I'm promoting and kind of get a kick out of the fact that this network gets promoted there. And this network is all about (laughs) the kind of stuff we're talking about, you know, which is not what that table is about. And I'm sort of doing it under their nose. And they don't realize that. Um, So I want to put that out there that, you know, for any listeners that are tuning into this, there are many ways to have a voice and no way, um, you know, if you if you mean positivity from it is a is a bad way. So don't be so quick, maybe to judge how people um, get into certain places, because you don't quite know maybe what their agenda is. And they could be working really for you. But where they're talking, or where they're placing their voice um, doesn't really match what they're saying, but they're but they're allowed into that table. And you never know who at that table might actually wake up and be listening and hear and change. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So I want to throw that one to you, Christina. I'm just thinking about all of this and thinking, where do we go and and how do we do it? So what I want, I I want the world to be the way the Dalai Lama wants it. You know, I just think (laughs) it's the most fabulous like human being. Um, So when I think about that, I think that it's possible to change rape culture. And I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we need to do. And I think that we do it by exactly doing what we're doing now and being Mm -hmm. willing to engage in very difficult conversations. I think that we practice speaking up. And I think we can practice this in ways that aren't necessarily about specifically Uh, a sexual assault or violence or issues that specifically pertain to women, that I think we speak up when we see disrespect or we see Mm -hmm. injustice. And that if we keep dignity and respect 
and a knowledge of our common humanity at the forefront in our minds. And that's what guides our behavior. And that's what guides the way in which we see the world. Then I believe that's making a difference. And it's something we can do each and every day. And I also think that if we're taking that approach, then as we screw up, as we, you know, are cranky and treat someone with disrespect, or we don't pay enough attention to something that's going on, or we're not bringing our full best self in a moment, then we have that compassion for ourselves and say, that's okay, because in the very next minute, I have yet another chance to do this again. Right. You know, that that we have this, that that's literally our life is there in front of us to live. And I, you know, I love that Patricia made the postmenopausal moment uh, comment because <laughs> I truly think, I mean, and I say this all the time, like such a difference occurred in my life when I turned 50. And I, uh, a couple of years earlier, sort of went into surgical menopause. So they weren't directly hand in hand, but literally all of a sudden I thought, wow, stop, just stop being worried. Stop. I care deeply about the world and about other people and about who I am. But caring about somebody else's opinion, that's their responsibility. So, uh, and I have, I'm just I'm looking up and right in front of me, taped to my wall, I have a bunch of different sayings. So one says, make choices that liberate you. And another says, if you're avoiding the pain, you're avoiding the joy. The third says, you're invited. And the fourth says, you are sugar and spice and everything badass. (laughs) (laughs) See, Patricia would say that, but she would do it on a motorcycle. (laughs) That's right. With my tattoos. Yes. Yes. So just throwing that out there, you know. (laughs) Well, Evelyn, I'm going to do a little close after, but Evelyn, your your thoughts on how we can, you know, keep keep making strides as much as we can as women and as people. I, I couldn't agree with uh, with the panel more. And so, um, you know, thank you for the validation. And um, I just wanted to um, my thoughts are that uh, we like I always say, we have the power, right? And uh, people who are decent, like Dr. Christina said, and people who are compassionate don't treat other humans this way. And they don't, um, they've targeted women and children and the vulnerable for a reason. It's not because our lack of power, it is because of our power. They just try Mm -hmm. to direct the benefits of that to themselves. So, however, we, like Dr. Christina spoke about and Patricia, we can change our belief system, right? We can we can survive and we can um, through our personal power and our resilience help Im- influence other people, starting with our own children, right? As we heal, our children heal through us, and we're all an example of that. So unhealed pain we just transfer to the next generation and that's we right now we're seeing what we're seeing because we have a pain you know a a, a, a society of people dealing with emotional pain unhealed pain right. so but we can but we can approach it what i've learned is to approach it with compassion and, and decency like dr christina said and 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 realize um flawed warts and all 
that to be to speak our truth, to uh, find our voice through all these channels, like Patricia talked about, voting books, even posting on on um, social media, right. right? At these healing Facebooks, uh, the, these healing um, pages on Twitter. So um, I I see daily the the influence that we have, and and I'm humbled for that. I'm humbled to be able to do that. But I think everybody has that power. They have to find their own voice. They have to find their their um, their own so source that power from within. Uh, develop their own authenticity, warts and all, right? And realize that they have an incredible amount of influence on the in the on the world, right? On all levels, to, be it through voting, books, social media, podcasting, whatever that is. Never in a million years did I think that I would be here today speaking with this esteemed panel. So um, that wasn't my field of study. That wasn't my plan. But nevertheless, we're here. Right. So um, it's it's humbling. It's very, very humbling. And uh, I was, you know, I'm 61. I was raised in a family um, where that was not socialized. You know, to um, we would I was one of the first to ever get college educated, you know, in my family. So um, it's difficult. It's not easy, but um, just basically keep doing what keep doing. we're doing. Have yes. authentic conversations. Um, yes. Continue to navigate uh, platforms that we maybe don't really trust or and I'm talking about, you know, sometimes it's a media platform um, or wherever we can use our voice and maybe we don't trust the platform that we're being um, uh, asked to be a part of, but we you what we have the power to use it in the way that we want to. That's what I got from this. Um, so I just want to add one thing to um, my notes here too, that I had a note here in respectful dialogue, respectful yes. dialogue. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's enough trauma. I don't, I have absolutely no desire because I grew up in just constant uh, rageaholism, um, lying, deception, uh, hiding family secrets. And I was the, well, why can't I talk about this? I mean, it's happening in our house. I was like the, the I was the clueless one that wasn't really clueless. So I've always used my voice and boy, have I gotten arrows in the back and front and sideways and everywhere for that. But I think that, um, you know, creating spaces like this, like we're doing today um, with people that have unique perspectives and that can have a meaningful conversation where we're not screaming at each other, um, hate, whatever it is. I really think that's the way forward. I, I really do. So I want to, I want to keep this conversation going forever, but I know that we have to close it. So everyone is welcome on again. Absolutely. And um, I want to thank you so much for taking your time out of a Friday to, um, to come on and do this with me when I really didn't give you guys any idea or a loose idea of what the heck we were going to talk about. <laughs> This was fabulous. We should definitely do this again. I just want to keep talking. I had no idea that we were already at this point, right? Yeah. Just when we when you converse like this, 
I've watched the time the whole time. I've been like, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, Christina's probably got a patient waiting for her. Evelyn probably needs to go consult with someone. Patricia's got something important to do. Um, you know, I, my dog is looking at me like her bladder's about to explode. But but you forget time when we have these um, conversations and you really um, move mountains with them and we put it out there we put it out there in the airwaves and it's going to reach who it's going to reach and affect whoever it's going to affect. And that's, that's the really awesome part of this. So Patricia, Evelyn, Christina, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with, with me on, on mental health news radio. Thank you. Thank you. Christian. Thank you. Have a thank great you. day. You guys. Yeah. You too. you too. And thank you listeners for tuning in um, and uh, for sticking with us all these years. We really appreciate it. Hi, this is Dr. Paul Meyer, founder of the National Chain of Meyer Clinics. I've often told you about how people just like you are getting the healing that they need from emotional issues like depression, anxiety, anger problems, and relational problems. We wanted to share with you Mickey's experience at our day program and how it has affected his life. The Meyer Clinics has been a real blessing to me. Dr. Meyer told me that people get well here and my life has been completely changed. I have been symptom free for three years and I'd recommend it to anybody that really wants to overcome an emotional problem of any kind. Mickey's story is like so many others that we receive. It's an encouragement to us and we hope it will also be an encouragement to you to call us to get the emotional help that you've needed. Please call toll free 888-7-CLINIC to be connected to the Meyer Clinic program nearest you. That's 1-888-7-C-L-I-N-I-C or go to MeyerClinics.com. That's www.meierclinics.com. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.